You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This week on Gone on One, I get a chance to speak with the Eagles quarterback fans love to hate and my good friend Donovan McNabb. We speak about the recent tie with the Cincinnati Bengals while reminiscing about his own tie with the same team over a decade ago. We talk about the current state of the Eagles organization, how he views Carson Wentz's current struggles, and the adversity that comes with it all. McNabb reflects on his time in Philadelphia, giving me an inside look at his many experiences with the fan base and the media. Finally, we talk about what he's been doing in retirement with coaching, training, and mentoring young athletes. Not only will Five always love you, but he's ready to tell it like it is on this edition of Gun on One. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Gun on One, the podcast. I'm Derek Gunn. Of course, uh, three weeks now are in the books, and oh my goodness, I don't know what to say about the Philadelphia Eagles right now. They are 0-2-1, and who would have thought that in their first three games that would have entailed the Washington football team and the Cincinnati Bengals, this Eagles team would still be winless. You can't just blame it on one facet. Uh, you can blame it on the head coach. You can blame it on the, the coordinators. You can blame it on the assistant coaches. But a lot of people are putting the blame front and center on the franchise quarterback Carson Wentz for the demise of this team right now. So on this particular podcast, I've decided to bring in a quarterbacking expert, someone who has <laughs> given me grief for the last 20 years. The one, the only, the man who will ever be known for five will always love you, Donovan McNabb. How you doing, D-Mac? I'm doing outstanding. I'll tell you, it's perfect timing, ain't it? With uh, me coming on after another terrible game. (laughs) 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 And people want to constantly try to uh, compare the two, uh, really, with with Carson and myself and, and Doug and Andy, but... Uh, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I believe, uh, and everyone needs to just relax before they start jumping off the Ben Franklin Bridge. Did you ever think, when you looked at this Eagles schedule after three games, considering who was on the schedule, that they still will not have a win on the ledger? No. Um, as I as I looked at the schedule uh, months before uh, they they even reported, um, I looked at the schedule and in the first six games. I thought at least they would be four and two. Um, I, I look at the players in which they were bringing in. Deshaun Jackson was healthy. Zach Hurts was healthy, even though they went through a contract situation uh, that didn't 
lean more of Zach's way, which I think now you have to really start second guessing and getting it done. Uh, Dallas Goddard, um, I thought the offensive line of putting Jason uh, Jason Peters back at left tackle would have helped. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, Lane Johnson being at the right ta- right tackle. Uh, this was before even Brooks got hurt. Uh, I thought they had everything they needed on offense. And defensively, uh, I still question not drafting a, you know, a, a corner or safety or something in the first couple rounds. Yeah. Uh, I thought they didn't pay attention to their secondary. They didn't pay attention to their linebacking crew throughout the draft of free agents. And I thought that that would really hurt them. Uh, in the first, at least the first eight games of the season before chemistry started to flow. Okay, uh, before we continue talking about the team, I have to ask you a personal question. You don't mind, do you? No. All right, did did you know that a game could end in a tie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? Uh, even, even though we laugh at it, what, what is it? Is it almost... It was 2008, years? yeah? Yeah, well, you know, 12 years later. Uh, it's still a hot topic. It's a hot topic, but they still haven't gotten it right in the NFL. Because what, to be honest, how so? I, I just think all the rule changes that they've made throughout the years with the kickoff and and you know the the, the punt situation, and the 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 points in the in in overtime, people still want to see football. They still want to yeah. see football, and you know, and we're talking about a tie at this particular point when people want to see more. Yeah, they want to see more. Um, now, did they want to see more of the Eagles on offense? Or did you want to see Joe Burrow have a chance to to drive them down to do something? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think where the NFL is at this bigger point, even though that it's a topic of conversation anytime uh, a tie happens um, and my name comes up, which thank you, thank you so much for uh, keeping me <laughs> going. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's still, it's still one question where everyone's trying to figure out the next move. When you uttered that statement back in 2008, did you stop and say to yourself, oh, my goodness, why did I just say that? No. 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 Um, because if you recall, even years after, other players from other teams mentioned the same thing. You're right. Uh, You're right. Because, you know, we have meetings. We have meetings with, uh, you know, referees and, and the rule changes and things of that nature in training camp. And that's never anything that they emphasize. And mm-hmm. so, when you come from college, you know, it's, hey, you get the ball, you get a chance to score. Now they get a chance, they go down and score. Now the next time you get a chance to go out, if you kick a field goal, you got to hold them. Um, and then, you know, no one ever thinks about it too much in the NFL because how many ties really happened uh, before mine actually happened in Cincinnati? Uh, so you're not even thinking about that. And even then, and I remember, you know, vividly, I remember Andy mentioning it to the ref, and the ref said, well, we'll have another five minutes uh, mm-hmm. if, this in so uh, I wasn't the only one. The referee didn't know right. uh, ownership of me making the statement, uh, which a lot of people like to bring it up. But you know what? There's been ties after that, uh, and there will be more ties as we go forward. Mm. All right, as we move ahead to the current state of the team, let's hone in on the quarterback because that's where everybody in Philadelphia wants to lay the blame right now. When you look at what Carson really? Wentz is, oh yeah, you you know what that's like, right? Now, now, when you look at the current state uh, of what Carson Wentz has gone through, six interceptions now in three games, he's averaged only seven interceptions a season over the last three seasons. What are you seeing from your perspective in terms of what Carson is going through? I think he's pressing, pressing right now. Um, I thought the first half of the, the Washington football team, that game, 
I thought it was a Carson that uh, we all kind of expected, uh, spreading the ball around, uh, getting people involved. Uh, I thought in the second half, he was riding that wave to try to continue the momentum going. Uh, and after the first turnover, uh, it was a domino effect. You know, he started playing cautious. I thought in the second game, uh, he came out immediately playing cautious. In mm-hmm. uh, this game, it seems like he told himself, um, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to be free. I'm just going to go out and play. Because that seems like something that Doug would tell him, hey, I want you to just be yourself. If you see something, you know, attack it. You know, if not, then use your legs. Uh, and to me, it just after after one or two turnovers or three and outs, you know, you start now to question yourself. And, you know, is it that he's questioning his ability? I don't know if he's questioning his, his ability, but he's questioning the result. Uh, and at this point, I mean, no matter, he's human. He's human. And I tried to tell people years ago when all the people say, oh, well, he's hating, you know, and it's, it's not right. hate. Right. It's just from an analyst standpoint, people fail to realize I'm an analyst, you know, right. I'm, uh, that's that's my, what my job entitles me to do. People call me to break down different things, and I can only be honest. So um, I think you can only ride the wave for so long when people are giving you opportunities. But at, at some point, they're going to now start to look back at your resume and start to really start to dig deep into your play. And now they're starting to dig deep into his decision-making, mm. um, which as a quarterback, you know, you could talk about my ability. You could talk about, you know, the way I play. But once you go into my decision-making, and I've been the starting quarterback for five years or so, then now now we got an issue. Do you think, two questions in one, do you think them drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round has a direct effect on his overall play? And do you think the message, uh, the organization deliberately is sending him a message, look, we paid you a lot of money. You've got to step your game up. <laughs> Let me go with the second one first. Okay. Uh, do I feel that the organization is kind of looking at it right now like this is a make or break year? Yes. Because mm-hmm. if you really look at this contract, I think money's not guaranteed after next year. So they have to look at this year as being a deciding factor year if right, right. So they have another year like they had last year but don't make the playoffs. You get they gotta understand Howie Roseman is on the hot seat, no matter how you look at it. He's on the hot seat. Doug is still on the hot seat. Um, and so now that leaves Carson, who was your highest paid player, and you're paying him as if he was a top five player. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you look at all around just of where where he's at throughout his career with the injuries, uh, no playoff wins, you know, things of that nature. And you know in Philadelphia, people want to see playoff games. Right. They right. want to go and tailgate for second round playoff games, home field advantage, NFC championship. And they haven't had that since Nick. Nick Mm -hmm. was there. And so uh, I just think for Carson at this particular point, it's a make or break year. And and what the organization did, which I don't think they they really did it purposely, but these are the cards that they kind of dealt because I mentioned it after they drafted Jalen Hurts. You don't realize what you have done for Carson going forward. Because if he struggles like he's doing now, you're going to have to now create more plays for Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. which the crowd is now going to start to chant his name. And then for what we're seeing from, you know, Lamar Jackson and, you know, even Taysom Hill, they want to kind of compare Taysom Hill and Jalen Hurts. And I said, that's disrespectful to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a Heisman Trophy candidate who should have won uh, last year. So 
he can do much more than just be a running gadget kind of quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're going to see now, and I believe he had, what, three, four plays in this past game? Yeah. You're going to see about five or six. All of a sudden it grows. And it'll be first downs to – it'll be some, you know, incredible touchdowns or something. And the crowd's going to start cheering his name, and it's going to start to affect Carson. Do you think it's affecting his game already, though? I don't think it's affecting his game now because, you know, they have reassured many times that Carson is the guy. And Carson knows he's the guy. Um, you know, so I don't think that he's looking over his shoulder by any means at Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I just think right now he's starting to look himself in the mirror and try to figure out answers, you know, of what's going on at this point. Do you think in any way Carson is rattled by the negative criticism? I mean, you look at his career. He's always been the golden boy on campus when he was at North Dakota State. He came here as a number two pick. He was supposed to be the savior of this organization. People were rolling out the red carpet for him. Things were going well. His career kept getting better from 2016 to 2017. MVP candidate until he got hurt. And then he willed this team to to win a division title last year with a bunch of receivers walking in off the streets. I, I don't think Carson... Carson is used to having this kind of negative darts thrown at his, uh, thrown at him. <laughs> no, he hasn't. I mean, you know, he he's definitely uh, looked upon as a savior. I mean, it's it's one in which um, it's good on one end, obviously, as a player, when you you see that uh, people are accepted of you and, and your ability and appreciate what you can bring to the table. And then the negative aspect of it is how quickly they turn on you. And so I, that was one thing that I tried to emphasize early on through his career is you can only ride the wave for so long. Um, and, and you need to ride the wave as a player while you're continuing to get better and your team's getting better. Hey, we go, we go through ups and downs as a football team. You right. know, they play well, defense may not. Defense plays well, offense may not. But you can't go through games where both sides play bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and when both sides play bad, now you're what, leaning on the kicking game? That's not going to win games right now in the NFL, you know, because I thought that the season would start out where the defense would be more dominant to allow offenses to start to gel a little bit mm-hmm. because of missing the preseason and, and deep training camp. But now we're starting to see teams coming out scoring 35, 40 points a game. That's right. And defenses are starting to struggle by giving up 35, 30 points a game. And then when you look at where the Eagles are at this point, and they have, they have weapons to score points. Um, it's just you're starting to ask yourself why, what's going on, what are they missing? Uh, to me, I said this last year, they needed to get the ball to Zach Ertz more. Mm. Zach, Ertz, Zach Ertz is one of the top five tight ends in this, in this game. Uh, and people would argue if he's top, top three, top four. Now Mark Andrews has kind of moved in, into that mm-hmm. spot. Mm-hmm. Only because the Eagles have shied away from targeting Zach Ertz and now start targeting Dag- Dallas Geiger more which you start to really question, is it because of contract situation? Is Zach really healthy? You know, why aren't they throwing the ball to Zach Ertz? Um, and so that's Carson's security blanket. You know, when you want to get in rhythm, hey, you get back to the guys you know will make plays for you, and that's where you go. He just hasn't had that. And, and uh, as a quarterback, it's tough. See, Zach Ertz, though, he's got money on his mind right now. Things are not well, going well for Zach Ertz in his money situa- it's, it's, situation. <laughs> But you got to, gun, 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 you know this too, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, when, when you know you're deserving of money. Yep. And, and you know that you've done everything that you possibly could for that organization and they're trying to lowball you. Yeah. You play pissed off. 
mm-hmm. when you play pissed off at a tight end position, you can't solidify yourself unless your quarterback throws you the ball. That's right. You know, he's not a blocking tight end. He's a receiving tight end. So that, that catch that he had on the corner route, uh, man-to-man coverage that Carson threw, that was a great catch. Yep. It was a great throw. But it's kind of like you start to ask, well, he should have about six or seven more of those. What is going on? Mm. Now, you went through a lot of the things that Carson's going through. You had the highs, you had the lows, and I can remember at times when things were going bad, you would stand at the podium and try to crack a joke to lighten the mood for a moment. But in a general sense, how did you deal with all the negativisms when they started coming your way? Uh, See, I knew how to handle that. That was my major in college, speech communication. Right. And then broadcasting. So I know how to change the climate of, of a room. You know that. You know I, I can oh, yeah. bring I can bring a little something to the table where oh, I yeah. can get people at ease. And and I knew after games like that, first of all, as a player, you you you're pissed off because you haven't been able to to play at your caliber, play at the level that you set for yourself. Mm-hmm. Second, you know you're gonna go off into a room where you know people are just gonna pepper you with negative questions. Uh and then thirdly, one thing as a quarterback you have to do is you have to stand up there and take it. Uh, and be bulletproof and just give give your answer and, and try to be honest as, as possible and, and take ownership and be accountable for it. Because even when you take ownership of it and be accountable, they're still going to try to figure out ways to try to you know, try to get deep into your skin. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wouldn't allow them to do is to get deep into my skin. And so I knew how to handle um, the lows and the negativity. That's why if people got mad at me because they always say, oh, well, you're always smiling. Or, you know, you always think everything's funny. That's right. what you know. What I, I know is I can get you to think about something else mm-hmm. by the way I act, by the way that I, what I say. Um, so I can control the narrative of the whole situation due to, the, due to how you're looking and how, what, what questions you're asking. So you're saying you had a bachelor's degree in Jedi mind tricks. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, it was it was ghetto tricks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was growing up in the city of Chicago where I can read your mind and change what you're thinking. <laughs> Something's wrong with you, man. Something is still wrong with you today. Hey, have you ever had a chance to talk to Carson on a personal basis and just, just give him insight on how to handle a lot of situations in life, both as an athlete, as a businessman? I well, I haven't talked to Carson in a couple of years. Uh, and when I did, that was kind of the direction that I talked about. I, I Like I told him, I said, I can care less about um, the wins. I can care less about, you know, all the hoopla and all. What you have to do is you have to block that out. Because I told him, the same people that are patting you on the back and want to ride with you are going to be the same people that's going to stab you in the back. And so the conversation that I've had with him was more or less about how to handle yourself through this media outside with the fans and then understanding where your safe haven is. Your safe haven is being with your family because, Mm -hmm. you know, I could go home after a terrible loss and my wife won't talk about the game. And then with my kids, my kids won't even talk about the game. So we Mm -hmm. can kind of focus on something else. Uh, But then you also got to take into account where, Every time that I had said something in the media, being an analyst, then the fans and the radio shows and everybody would talk negative about me. Mm-hmm. So now that led to Carson 
and some of his teammates trying to come at me. You know, Carson R.C. wouldn't get involved, blah, blah, blah. Then you had Lane Johnson kind of throw darts at me. And then you had some of the players, oh, he's my mm-hmm. guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody right. really cares about you anymore. First of all, I can care less who cares about me. I know right. I, got, I got five people in this house who truly love me mm-hmm. with, with my mom and dad and then my in-laws. So I don't have to worry about that. I think these players get caught up too much on who likes them and, and who, who likes them on social media and who's following them. Once you're going to learn, when that ball drops and them shoes get unlaced and you're done, you've got another chapter of your life you have to focus on. I've talked to a lot of ex-football players, and I've always asked them the question, man, you know, why aren't you coaching in the NFL today? And the consensus has been, man, I, I, I can't coach these players nowadays. You, you can't Ooh. coach these players nowadays. Are you, are, do you agree that these players are, nowadays are too sensitive? Well, I won't go with the sensitive aspect because, you know, people rub that the wrong way. Right. Um, what, what, I, what I will say is um, these kids are, are more like divas. Um, mm. and, and that's because they are, they are coddled, they're patted on the back, they are praised um, for little things that they do. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, these kids don't understand, like, like I talked about. Those same people who smile in your face will be the same ones that are talking negative behind your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that you try to coach these kids, and, and, and I'm doing that right now with some of these young kids, is I'm teaching them the pathway to success. Uh, one is focusing in on your job, perfecting your craft. Uh, another is make sure you're well prepared at all times. Uh, three is, is to lead, make sure you be a leader, be vocal, be up front in front of everybody to set the tone. And at the end of the day, step away from the game. Step mm. away from the game and clear your head. Um, because football does not define who you are as a person. Football is what you do. Right. That's where you work. Now, who you are as a person People will see that of how you carry yourself, what you represent. Um, can you be in a room and be, you know, be friendly to others? Uh, are you arrogant? You know, that's things that people look at. They can care less that you play football. Because at this point, some of these kids that I train, uh, they have no clue that I play for Philadelphia. Wow. That means you're they old. Hear their, they hear from their parents. Right. That's the thing. They have Google. So they Google me and then they're like, oh, Coach Donovan, I didn't, I didn't know that you played uh, in the final four in, in, in college basketball. I didn't know mm-hmm. that, you know, you went to five NFC championships. Wow, I didn't know that you made six Pro Bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, you must have been really good. And it's like, you know what, I was okay. I, you know, I played with a, a good team. I had a great coach. Uh, but I worked. I worked my butt off. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm asking you to do. And these kids respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love when athletes tell you, when things are going bad for them, oh, I don't listen to the media. I, I don't. I don't listen to TV, radio, and so on and so forth. Even if they don't listen to it directly, you know they have family members, friends, relatives telling them what's going on, and how they handle those situations. Because a lot of people aren't used to being attacked, attacked publicly, and no. it, it it's it's a matter of how they handle this. And now I, I wonder internally. What's going on with Carson? Because he's not used to this kind of neg- negative attack that's being thrown his way now in Philadelphia. Um, d- did I listen to the to the to the negativity of hoopla? I did. No, no, you didn't. You really, I you did. really. Okay, I knew. I knew exactly. I knew exactly who said what. Because the reason I did, you got to understand, I'm a speech communication major. Right. You know, dealing with journal- journalism and, and broadcasting. 
So I'm going to know who it is that said what. Because when I see you, now my feelings and emotions go to another direction. Right. Because you come in my face with the mic and be like, oh, you look great out there. You know, you play well. And it's like, but wait a minute, didn't just two weeks ago you said I was the worst or, you know, I was the reason we lost the game or, you know, was, mm. but I'm saying that in my mind. Right, so it's, right. important, it's important. And players will say they don't listen, but they do. They do. I mean, it, it, and family members aren't the ones who are telling them. You know, you you hear it yourself. You hear it yourself. And then in the, in the questions that you get asked, you know, every other day, you know, you start to like look at the person like, wow, you really feel that way. But but you have to be a bigger man about it and not mm. let it affect, not let it affect the common goal. The common goal, again, is for you to go out and lead your team to wins. Mm-hmm. People, people lose the sight of what winning is all about. Winning is all about somebody or some group play well in order for you to win. Now, you hope that it's your group that mm-hmm. you led to win. But if you win, now you can go to the field and correct your mistakes right. so that now you can secure the next win. See, as a player, you know, you're so worried about numbers and, you know, where I'm ranked and all this. That makes no difference. See, people don't understand that. Because I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. You knew how I was, Gunny. Right, I yep. That. It was about winning because we're defined as quarterbacks by your winning percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, now they want to add, you know, they've been adding years for certain people. How many Super Bowls has he won? Or how many times he was all pro? No, but how many, what was my winning percentage? Right. You know, where, where did I take my team as the starting quarterback? Mm-hmm. That's the, main, the key thing. And for these young kids, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm old. But look at what Russell Wilson has done. Russell <laughs> Wilson has been – people don't realize, over a decade now, Russell Wilson has led his team to at least close to or with double-digit wins. That's right. With no receiver that any other team could say, yeah, we need to stop him. And he's been 75% of the offense or more over the last seven years. And he hasn't had one or, or I'll say double-digit MVP votes. Right. So we want to talk so much about, wow, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest, greatest quarterback I've ever seen, or, or Aaron Rodgers, he's one of the best I've ever seen, which I think is a slap in everybody's face. Mm-hmm. But Russell Wilson is a true winner. And you give the ball to Russell with two minutes to go late in the game and see what happens. And it ain't gonna go. It ain't gonna go well for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Russell Wilson because uh, Russell Wilson is one of six, seven, eight African American starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. Now, when you played, it, it was somewhat there of a novelty. There was ten. And when you played, though, it it, it was what a novelty it was considered a novelty back then. Give me your thoughts on yeah. how the complexion of the quarterback game has changed in the NFL now. I said this, I remember when, um, when the whole discussion went on with Rush Limbaugh at ESPN. Remember when I talked about, this is not about me, this is about the yep. kids uh, on the high school and Pop Warner level, and then in college, when they see guys like myself, Dante Culpepper, Byron Lethridge, uh, Aaron Brooks, when they see Sean King, when they see guys like us, and then you have the Vince Youngs and Michael Vick and those guys, but they feel like my dream can come true. Like, I have a chance of playing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the National Football League. Um, I have so many, so many guys that are younger than me told me they wore number five uh, because I was, I was their idol. 
Right. And it gets to this day, you look back on what number they wore in high school, they wore number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I did was, and, my, and myself and those guys I mentioned, I got the torch from Randall and Rodney um, and, and, and those guys, and they got it from Doug and, and, and James Harris. We're, past the, we're passing the torch. But what the, the torch is now, the torch is now separated, where now everyone's passing it. Look at what Cam Newton is doing. Yep. Cam is getting paid a million dollars, uh, probably with incentives that, that reach probably to five million for the New England Patriots. And right now, the New England Patriots look like they might represent in the AFC Championship. Mm-hmm. Look at look at what Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are doing. When you yep. got two MVPs playing against each other to, you know, tonight, where it's going to be one in which it's going to be exciting and box office, you know, type of game. Right. Then we continue to go on with Deshaun Watson. Dak Prescott is it? Dak Prescott, if, if Jerry Jones was sitting right in front of me right now, I would throw some powder on my head and I'll <laughs> slap. <laughs> Why? You, are, you have killed yourself because now the price tag has went from where you want to pay him at about $34, $35 million. The price tag now has skyrocketed to forty-one. Mm-hmm. It's it's now you should have took care of it when you should when you did you should have had a, had that four year deal like you you should have done instead trying to get him five but now he he looks out Dallas looks outstanding on offense if they could just start games fast yeah if they start fast they'll be a much better football team but Dak Prescott has proven you know he's one of the top quarterbacks in this league. When you look at uh, what a lot of players are doing in terms of taking a stance in light of what has happened this past spring and summer with the Black Lives Movement and how they're trying to protest, give me your perspective on what players are trying to do to bring even further awareness to the situation. Well, I think with it all, I I appreciate what Adam Silver has done with the NBA Mm -hmm. of allowing these, these guys to be spokesmen, uh, to, and also, let me add the WNBA as well. Uh, they have created a platform where we can now spread the awareness of our disagreement and right. our our feelings toward how we've been treated as African Americans, and to the point where now, as a, a Caucasian American, um, you know, to uh, you know any other minority ethnic, mm-hmm. you know, ethnicity out there. Now we have to truly focus on what's happened in the past where the injustice system, you know, inequalities to, you know, from uh, defaming to, you know, kind of trying to show your, your authority over someone because you feel like I'm, I'm much more privileged than you. Right. Uh, this has now become such a focus because, you know, with, with Breonna Taylor, I mean, it's it's frustrating what you're still hearing from Breonna Taylor. And I've got two daughters. Right. Listen, I, I heard Robert Horry said on, on, on TV out in uh, L.A. where he had to explain to his kids while driving that they have to be cautious. They have to put the, hit their hands on the steering wheel, try to do everything it is that they tell you. And as a parent, we have we worry about what may happen to our kids. You know what? It's 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 devastating and it's terrifying when you have kids of your own and you send them out into the world mm-hmm. because you just don't know. 
And, and so I think where the NFL has been stuck, the NFL was stuck because of what the NBA did. So they tried to do something to try to try to slow down, I think, the kneeling. Because remember, mm-hmm. that was an issue because Donald Trump said so. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it was about the bottom line. The bottom line, bottom line was about the money. And so, you know, there was, oh, well, because I, if I recall, there were owners who said they wouldn't sign Kaepernick. Right. I wouldn't bring And now all of a sudden people are trying to change the tune because they see what the hot topic is. Mm-hmm. You know, but still, I haven't seen as much from an NFL standpoint mm-hmm. as I've been seeing from the NBA standpoint of being able to spread the awareness and get that out there. Okay, so then how much does it irritate you when you hear the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, come out and say, we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. And then all of a sudden you have an abundance of owners now who are donating millions of dollars to social injustice and racial discrimination. The same group of people that wouldn't do this just a few years ago. But I don't this. This is the this is the masking part of it all. Okay, giving money. Because they, if you give money, you can say, oh, well, I donated. I need to hear your voice. I need to hear you come out to say I was wrong. I need to hear you come out and say uh, I needed to support, especially for you know Philadelphia. I need to support more of what Malcolm Jenkins uh, was, was trying to do. Um, for owners to come like the players did, uh, the African-American players, the Major League Baseball and NFL, came out and did the video. I need to see Jerry Jones come out mm-hmm. and say, you know, say something about the situation. Remember, he tried to have his team kneel before the national anthem. Right, and right. And up and held hand. That was all just for, for TV. That was all for TV. And so I, w- w- people can say, well, they're donating money. Okay, that's great. But they need your time. <clears throat> they need your voice. Because when, when you speak, people listen. Mm-hmm. When you donate money, people don't know it. Do you think we will ever see a definitive change in this country? Because I will say this, when all of the protests started happening, not just across the United States, but across the world, there was a multitude of different races and colors arm in arm uh, protesting with people more so than we've ever seen before. Do you think we are on the brink of definitive change in our country? I think we're moving in the right direction. I think the problem is uh, the people who aren't a part of the protest who right. are out destructing property, yes. uh, the ones who are attacking um, innocent people, um, the ones who are, are dressing up as if they're with the protests and with the calls uh, and, and just completely just doing things the opposite way mm-hmm. uh, than what you see at the peaceful protest. So now those people who aren't really with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, right. Uh, they, they can use that as an excuse. Well, look, what, what, I would have a gun, too, if anyone came and tear up my property. Right. To That's not what it's about. Like, and these, you know, so I think, are we moving in the right direction? I believe as, as people of, of America, yes. But where does this start? Mm-hmm. It starts from the top. So if the top is not coming out and speaking on it, then he has his followers that are following his word and his actions. And so until people up at the top start to get more involved or trying to handle this situation and separate um, the, the couple parties, it, it'd just mm. be the same. 
I appreciate your insight and perspective on that topic. I'm going to bring it back to football uh, for just a minute, if I could. And I want to ask you, uh, before I forget, if you could, would you want to play in today's NFL when you look at how they've changed the rules to protect the quarterbacks, the money that is now just flowing around for quarterbacks in the National Football League? And, and honestly, I don't think you have 32 legitimate starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Do you wish you were playing in the game today? Uh, you know what? It's tough to say. I mean, I enjoyed the time that I played. Um, right. You know, I, I don't want to be that old guy. Uh, like you hear some of the old old players say, well, if I played in this time, I would I would probably average about 35, 40 points a game in basketball or right. I'll probably right. go for 5,000 yards. I, you know, I, I enjoyed the time that I played. I enjoyed the players that I played with. Uh, the money is definitely a whole lot different, which right. um, you can look at it in that way. But I'm better off. I'm, I'm not struggling by any means. I'm doing well for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm healthy. Um, you know, I can walk around with my kids and take them to practice and games and, and play basketball and football with them if I need to. Uh, so I don't, I don't look back at, or kind of look in that situation and say, well, the what ifs. No, I'm fine with where I was. Uh, Nick Foles wins this organization's first ever Super Bowl. Donovan yeah. McNabb statistically, is the greatest quarterback in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles. Does it bother you that they don't have a statue of Donovan McNabb in Philadelphia? No. No. Um, it doesn't It doesn't at all. Uh, my name is up in, in the stadium. My mm-hmm. name is up in the stadium for a reason. Um, and, again, uh, would you like to have a, a statue? I think everybody would love to have a statue. I mean, right, right. you know. Um, that that just solidifies, solidifies your greatness to that organization, um, you know. But one thing it does, though, if I was still playing, I would be pissed off that that state that statue was up there, and I'm the starting quarterback when I was the starting quarterback when it happened. Yeah, uh, that's people don't realize how tough that is for Carson. Yeah, you know, and, and then you really have to question, like the thought process that went into that. Like when mm-hmm. that, when they first made that decision, I was like, oh, that's a bad move. Yep. That's Bad move for all the great players that have played throughout this organization. Yes, you won a Super Bowl, and not only do you you won a Super Bowl, but you won a Super Bowl with a guy who wasn't your franchise quarterback. Mm. You know, when you have your franchise quarterback that was there hurt that year, and he came back that next year to start. So, although everyone is excited about, I was excited for him. You know, uh, I was in Minnesota for for that whole. Festivity. I didn't go to the game because I didn't get no tickets or didn't even get invited. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> um, but I was there in Minnesota, you know, for work, and and I ended up leaving that weekend um, and watching the game somewhere else. But I'm happy for them for winning. I wanted to be the quarterback to win the Super Bowl for our organization, but I'm glad somebody did. Why do you think the Philadelphia fan base loves to hate Donovan McNabb? Because I'm honest, because I'm honest, because uh, they know that none of their criticism or none of none of anything that they even think about me really matters to me. Uh, and they I've proven that each and every year while I was playing. Um, and so to this day, you know, they want to continuously bring up things that I say. But then it always comes back tenfold, don't it? Everything that I said, mm. it always comes back. So nobody wants to tell say that I'm right. Um, I've had a lot of people call me over the last couple of weeks 
yeah. uh, or, or text me or whatever, like, man, you were right. Like, try to tell you. I mean, you know, y'all don't only listen to what you want to listen to. But I've been in a situation. Uh, I've analyzed the whole situation. And, and now I see it. And so I just say it. And people can't, people can't take honesty. As much as people want everyone to be honest, yep. people can't take it. They can't take it. Do you come back to Philadelphia much? I come back for uh, appearances and, and uh, autograph signings and things of that nature. Uh, I got a lot of friends still. You know that I call like my family members sure. out there, for, so I come back and, and see my people and spend some time with them. When you look back on your career in Philadelphia, tell me the one single proudest moment that you have of wearing a Philadelphia Eagles uniform. Uh, my very first win. Uh, well, first of all, drafted, being drafted okay. uh, by Philadelphia was was number one. Um, to be drafted number two pick overall. Uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles with Andy Reid, uh, that was that was my first accomplishment. Um, okay. My second was my very first win. Um, you know, and as it continues on, just after that, it was it was just big win after big win or playoff appearances, NFC Championship appearances, Super Bowl appearance. Um, and there's no really there's no true rankings after uh, the first two. You know, everything just kind of goes in order. Uh, and then to top it off, the cherry on the cake was uh, on top of the cake for me was to have my number retired mm-hmm. um, in the stadium. And so um, that to me, you know, is a is a athlete's dream. You know, I grew up in the city of Chicago where I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I wanted to wanted to run and own things like Michael Jordan. I wanted to perfect my craft like Michael Jordan. Uh, at the end of the day, I wanted my name up in the Raptors where my kids could, could come and see that dad did something. My mm-hmm. kids' kids uh, could come back and see grandpa did something. Uh, and that's something that's very special to me that I had that opportunity to do it. What is the worst memory you have of being a Philadelphia Eagle? If you could change one thing, it, it, do you say to yourself, man, I wish I could go back and, and redo this? Um, what would it be? It's easy to point at the Super Bowl um, and, and wish that you could have changed a few things. Um, I think for all of us, myself, and I talked to Jim Kelly too, when we both talked about it, you know, if we could have just won one or, you know, if we could have won two or, three, you know, just one, it starts at one. Right. Uh, but if I could change anything in that game, uh, that would be one. I, I would say probably if I could change anything, I mean – I didn't agree with the whole trade deal when I got traded to Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt there was no reason for me to be traded. Um, I know, but you know how they, they kind of want to go with the young, young wave. Um, I wished I could have finished my career in Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, you know, and if I would have got 13 years, if I would have got 15 years being in Philadelphia and, and just saying, you know what, I appreciate everything that everyone has done for me. Uh, you know, my teammates, my coaches, the fans, I would have just loved to retire as an Eagle uh, and not play with anyone else. You mentioned that Super Bowl you played in a couple of times, and there were a number of your teammates that came out later, especially in hindsight of so-called Spygate, that the uh, New England Patriots cheated to a win. Do you honestly believe the Patriots knew what you guys were trying to run in that game? I don't know. Um, 
you know, it's easy. It's easy to say that, especially with everything that's going on. With the <laughs> and then you look at the years and you're like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, we played on that. Yeah. Yeah, they cheated too. <laughs> you know I, mean? you know, um, I, I don't know. I guess, you know, you have to have an upper uh, upper hand on something. You got to get an edge. Yeah. Um, and what it is, if that's if that's the case of what they did, so, you know, um, you know, my, as, as our grandparents used to say, shame on you. Yeah. Um, you know, it, but we still got to play the game. We still got to play the game, no matter if they did or not. We still got to play the game, and and just we weren't and we weren't as good as we should have been uh, on on Super Bowl Sunday. So Donovan McNabb, now ex athlete, has a, a whole lot of things going on in his life right now. And you were talking about coaching young men. What are you doing right now uh, out in Arizona uh, with uh, young athletes? Uh well, I'm staying busy. I mean, you know, uh, training quarterbacks out here in Arizona. Uh, I have a a group, a great group of kids from the age of 10 to, to 17, 18. Um, also, uh, I trained Khalil Tate, who originally uh, was signed as a free agent uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. They were going to move him to to wide receiver, which he's a quarterback from the University of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Trained him for, for uh, pro day, which COVID kind of canceled that. Uh, so he not, never got a chance to, to showcase his ability to throw the ball uh, and, and also throw it with timing and accuracy. Uh, so I think that hurt him. Uh, but I still am working uh, to work with more in future NFL players. Uh, I'm also coaching flag football for my, my 11-year-old son, Donovan yeah. Um I'm also coaching a flag football team, a girls' flag football team with my daughter. Oh, my goodness, yeah. The rock the stage. And, yes, I have no hair as it is, so I can't do <laughs> anything else. Uh, uh, so. It is not easy, but it's fun. These girls are so fun. Uh, we had our first win last week. Um, I'm also coaching girls AAU basketball. Um, so, obviously, we finished in July. So, that was something that I, I've enjoyed over the last couple of years. Um, I'm, I'm an ambassador of Karis Sports. Um, my wife and I, and, and what that is, is what we try to do here in Arizona is we try to help uh, low-income families um, have, a, have their kids have an opportunity to be showcased on the same platform as all the rest of the kids in club and AAU sports. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we fund uh, them the opportunity to pay their dues, uh, to have money to for hotels and things of that nature so that they can now have the opportunity to travel with a lot of these other kids who you see getting rewarded with offers to colleges uh, because they had an opportunity to perform in front of uh, college scouts. Right. Um, that's what we're doing, not just in basketball, but we're doing it in soccer, volleyball, baseball, um, you know, all the other sports that you could play. There's no really no AAU or club for football. Uh, but for those other sports, we're definitely helping these young young ladies and young men out uh, to try to better their future. You have four kids. Your oldest is 16. Your oldest daughter, 16 years old. Yeah. Is she a pretty good high school athlete? Uh, she's a very good a high school basketball player. Uh, I think she's a, a, a great softball player too. Um, she plays high school softball. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes these kids get kind of get embedded with one particular thing and they just yep. kind of truly on that. Uh, so I'm the dad that's like, hey, you know, in spring we're playing, we're playing softball. Um, and she's like, oh, well, I don't want to play softball, you know. Right. So we're going through that. Um, but she's a, she's a very good student. Um, you know, she's a very good basketball player, which her, her high school team won state last year and, and lost in a state championship the previous year in her freshman year. So they have a much better team coming back this year. 
So they should represent the state again uh, in twenty in twenty twenty. Are you one of those dads who's constantly yelling from the stands or because of who you are, you have to sit on your hands and bite your tongue a lot of time and not bring attention, unwarranted attention to you? And you know how kids are nowadays, so you don't embarrass your child. Uh, I am that dad that is yelling from the sideline. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? <laughs> hey, listen, I, I, I want perfection. Let's go. Oh, jeez. You know, Let her be. Give her her I, room, I, man. Hey. They can, they can be when we get home and they go to their room. I'm going to let you know early what's going on. Oh, man. During the game. We're going to talk on the way home. And when we get home, we just let it go. Because I, I just I, – I, I can't sit on my hands and not say anything. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I, I can't. And my wife, she's just like, you are so embarrassing. And I'm like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> because I want – what I want is, uh, you know, my kids work extremely hard to get themselves to where they are. Right. Um, I want the best for them. Uh, I don't want coaches, college coaches or or whatever to say, well, she doesn't work hard or we don't know if she truly loves the game. Um, you know, I don't want that to ever be a question because I want their effort to be shown while right. they're playing. Right. Um, so I just, I just give them that extra push and talk to them a little bit during games. Uh, but I'm just being a dad. I'm telling you, football, football is way past me. Right. I am Dad, now I have listened. I I got daughters that I t- I coach for the right. girls club at AAU. They call me dad because I'll show up to their basketball games when they're playing in high school, and they're just like, "Oh no, dad's here!" <laughs> Come and on, I, man! It ain't even my daughter. I'm about the girls I coach, and I'm like, "Pass the ball, shoot it!" And they just look up in the stands. I'm like. Yeah, shoot it. <laughs> hey, did you do what I tell you to do uh, since you have a teenage daughter now? Because two of my three kids, my oldest uh, two kids are da- uh, daughters. And did you do what I told you to do? Hey, get you get yourself a gun because when potential male suitors come to date your daughter, <laughs> you got to give them the look. You know, you got to give them that dad look. <laughs> you said the male suitors. Like. Yes, the male suitors. You have to give them the, the look. I, I, you know, I, I go, I don't go with the look. I'm, I'm an old school dad. I, I, I get the grab. You know, when you, you get in, and he's like, "How you doing, Mister McNabb?" And you, you grab him by the shoulder, and you, you give him one of those. <laughs> oh Listen my here. goodness, that's abuse. Hey, I, want, I want some physical confrontation. <laughs> let's, let's talk, brother. Like, I want to know what you here what for. What's wrong with you? Know? you? Hey, man. No, you sit there with the gun. He just gonna look at you know these kids don't care nowadays. Uh, you know, you sit there with yeah. the gun, they probably got one too. You know, so I'm going to put these hands on. You know, so you understand, oh, man, this dude's serious. Yes, brother, I am serious. <laughs> hey, look, man, you're 6'3", about 280 pounds since I last saw you. You're intimidating. Man, expect- <laughs> I had to slip that one in there real quick. You're yeah, about 280 you now. You know, you kind of swollen up on, since man. you played. You were an athlete. You kind of swollen up now. I'm swollen up from lifting weights. <laughs> Matter of fact, I work out before this. Man, I am not 280. So all y'all are not 280. What do you know about? I'm going to get on you with them two crosses on your neck. Looking look, like uh, you, uh, uh, you was a lead singer for the Whispers. Come on, man. And I can sing like the Whispers, too, brother. <laughs> you about to <their> height. 
<laughs> oh, man, you're a mess, man. Uh, you know what? You are, you are always one of my favorite athletes here in Philadelphia, man. I can't thank you for taking the time to come on D-Guns Podcast. My final question to you is, it took me five years to get you to sit in front of a camera for D-Gun. Whether I was doing quick slants for NBC, whether I was doing other platforms, you always had an excuse. I'd hear you on radio. I see you on somebody else's national TV. But you always, you, D-Gun, you know you family to me, and I ask you for a favor. Oh, D-Gun, I can't make it happen today. Why? <laughs> Why did you treat me like that? Why? Hey, first of all, your polo shirts was terrible. They, I didn't they buy them. I, that, that was your work polo, and they gave yes. you like the stuff at the bottom of the box. <laughs> they didn't you. you know, and then I, I knew we weren't going to really be asking any real questions because we were going to start cracking jokes with each other. Yeah. Uh, but you know what, D-Gun, to be honest with you, man, and you, you put stuff on Twitter, don't add me to it until I comment on you. You know, that's another thing. Wait, 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 wait. Let's stop right there. Okay, now I'm going to bring up something that you did. You and Brian Westbrook both responded to. Uh, It was probably about six, seven, eight months ago. Brian was the best interview you... No, no, no. I said, I said, shout out through the years to a lot of guys who came on post game live on a regular basis. Hugh Douglas, uh, you know, Brandon Graham. And you said, hey, what about me? And Brian Westbrook said, what about me? And I said, that's because you guys would only come on once a year. These were guys who would come on every week, win, no, lose, or draw. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes. No, you did. You would diss me every week. People ain't listening to that mess, D Gun. You ain't show us no love. You you act like we was the extras and for the temptations or something that just couldn't make the make the group. See, that's messed up. You wait, know, wait, wait. I still got it, like my man. Fly. How many times a season would I ask you to come on post-game shows and you would say, I ain't talking today, D-Gun. I already talked at the podium, D-Gun. We family, but D-Gun, you can, D-Gun, you can look at the backside I, of me as I walk up into the sunset. I was over there, did I pop my head on the screen while you did. You would. You would give us a comical moment, yes. But I, I'm not, I saw <laughs> what I'm talking about. They don't want to that, see me pissed off. That, that's not what I'm talking about. See, you have yet to answer the question I asked you. Why would you diss D-Gun all the time? like this why said, didn't we talk about didn't we talk about how i can change the narrative of the conversation yes and why didn't you come on and change the narrative of conversations my ghetto tactics are still working <laughs> something's wrong with you man but you know what uh we sit here today we laugh we had some great times we talked about a lot of stuff through the years heartfelt stuff uh sure. football stuff x's and o's um i can't appreciate I, I can't tell you how much i appreciate uh your friendship and your trust that you had in me because you and i had some real sit down discussions about a lot of things through the years sure. and uh just like a lot of athletes that i know personally i, I would never bet- betray trust and and I think that's why you and I were able to have those conversations because you understood that it will never go past us and never has, never will. So even though it took you five years, five years for me to get you on what is now personally my Gun On One podcast, which is doing rather well, I might add, I can't thank you enough for sitting down and taking an hour to sit here and talk and cut it up with D-Gun. D-Gun, you, you know you just mentioned that wonderful number, and I, I know all about that Five. Five will always love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, man! Thank you so much, man. I can't, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Yeah. 
And so that's going to wrap up uh, another incredible edition of Gun on One, the podcast. Uh, for my special guest this week, Donovan McNabb, uh, I can't thank him enough for all of his uh, insights and perspectives on a number of topics we just talked about. Hope everybody tunes in again next week uh, when I have another special guest. I never tell you who my guest is going to be, but another Does special guest know? will be coming up. Oh, yes, I do. I know. Oh, I know. You don't know, but I know. <laughs> so for number five, I'm Derek Gunn. Thanks for uh, listening in to Gunn on One, the podcast. Uh, remember, everybody, have a blessed day, and more importantly, be a blessing to everybody you come in contact with. So long. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.